Amen. Would you put your hands together for Jesus? Amen. Without further ado, my beloved friend, Pastor Mike Ware. Amen. Put your hands together for him. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Can I just say publicly, I love this church. I love this church. You are amazing, just amazing people. So honored to be here tonight, and um, glad you have decided to come and join us. And uh, I'm believing that the Lord is going to do something in your spirit tonight. Amen. Why don't you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Open your Bible apps. People don't bring Bibles much to church anymore because they have all the data, the digital Bibles and what have you. That's fine. If that's what you have, just use it. Amen. While you're doing that, uh, you know, I'm from Louisiana. You all know that. I've been here enough. You know that I'm from Louisiana. And we have people like Boudreaux and Thibodeau. Y'all know about Boudreaux and Thibodeau? Okay. They're kind of, if you don't know who they are, they're, they're really like knotheads is what they are. And they're just, kind of a, a, they're just kind of a weird bunch of people, but they're a lot of fun to be around. And um, uh, I heard about Boudreaux was building a shed behind his house, and Thibodeau's buddy was helping. They'd known each other since they were in grade school. They lived down the bayou from each other. And uh, so Boudreaux was holding the board. I'm sorry, Boudreaux was holding the board, and Thibodeau was sawing the board. And the saw slipped and cut off Boudreaux's ear. Yeah. And so they're looking for it in the sawdust, and Thibodeau picks up an ear. He says, is this it? Boudreaux said, no, mine had a pencil behind it. (laughs) It's like like, um, Boudreaux sitting there reading the newspaper, and his wife hits him over the head with a pan. And he says, why in the world did you hit me over the pants? She said, well, I found a note in your pocket with the name Jenny on it. He said, well, that, he said, I was at the races. I, that's the name of the horse I bet on. Three days later, he's sitting there watching television. She hits him over the head with a cast iron skillet. I mean, knocks him out cold. About 15 or 20 minutes later, he comes to, he says, he says, Clotilde, why in the world did you hit me over the head? She said, your horse phoned. <laughs> All right, well, you got it. <laughs> That's bad, isn't it? I have to tell you one more. Just one, just one more. They're not really funny, but they're goofy. Boudreaux's lawnmower broke down and Clotilde's wife, I mean, she was so upset. Boudreaux, you need to get your lawnmower fixed. I mean, she hounded him over and over. He spent all his money on shotguns and fixing his boat up and all that kind of thing. And the grass had grown up about this high. Well, she had an idea that she was just going to see if she could make Boudreaux feel sorry for her and get the lawnmower fixed. So she got out in the middle of the grass and sat down on the grass with a pair of scissors cutting the grass. Well, she knew Boudreaux was about to come home. So Boudreaux comes home. He looks at Clotilde out in the grass cutting that grass with a pair of scissors. He thought for a minute. He goes in the house and comes back. Walks over to Clotilde. He said, when you finish, he said, when you finish uh, cutting the grass, here's a toothbrush. You can go sweep the driveway. The, doc, the, doctor said, uh, the doctor said Boudreaux will probably walk again, but he'll have a limp. So she got after him. Well, anyway, hallelujah. Well, uh, I just want to let you know up front 
What I'm going to share with you tonight is still in the oven. Does that make sense? It's still in the oven. I'm still, this thing's still cooking on the inside of me. But I'm going to give it to you. And whatever the Lord wants to do with it, whatever you want to do with it, it's up to you. But I believe this could be a life changer for somebody. This could be a life changer for you personally. It could be for you and your leadership in this church. I look at everybody here as a leader. Now, you may not see yourself as one, but I see you as one. I mean, you might be a housewife. Well, you're a leader. You teach your children how to eat. You teach your children how to dress themselves. You teach your husband how to dress himself. <laughs> you're a leader. But um, I want to show you something in these scriptures in Matthew chapter 4 that's been stirring around in my spirit. And I'm praying that the Lord will open up your heart and receive something tonight. I bet you know the verses very well. I'm going to read them to you. Verse 1, then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. You know, I'd be hungry if I hadn't eaten in 40 days. <clears throat> now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God... Command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." Satan was quoting a scripture out of Psalms. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve, or you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now I want you to notice that Jesus was about to launch out into his ministry. Kind of like some of you as a new believer, you're about to launch out into your Christianity. He had spent 40 days and 40 nights, he had been fasting and praying, and he was preparing he was preparing the path, I mean, to step into this path of leadership in the fulfillment of his calling, fasting all those days, day and night, because he was serious about the assignment God had given him. And he wanted to step into it in fullness. And then that's when it happened. In the weakest moment, in the weakest moment of his, uh, 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 after he'd been fasting, as when, Je as when Jesus was attacked by the devil, I've learned something about the devil. He does not attack you when you're strong. He attacks you when you're weak. He attacks you when you're about to launch out into something, whether you're launching out as a church together or you're launching out into something to obey God. That's when he tries to attack you. Every step of your leadership is going to be tested. Every step of your leadership will be tempted. And the reason why is because Satan knows if he can destroy your leadership, he will destroy your influence. If he destroys your influence, you'll never be able to lead anybody or help anybody grow in the spirit. You'll never grow yourself. 
I want you to see that Jesus was attacked three times, three different ways, three different temptations, three different places in an attempt to destroy his leadership, in an attempt to destroy the next steps he was about to take in his spiritual life. And I believe it's going to be these same three areas that he's going to attack you. That's what I want to speak about tonight. It's about the three attacks every leader, the three attacks every Christian is going to face in their lifetime. And you'll probably face them over and over and over again. I'm going to tell you, when I started seeing this, like I said, it's still in the oven baking for me. And I'm not so sure I've got the full effect of it yet. But all I know is it has really stirred me up. It stirred up my spirit. I'm praying tonight it will stir you up because every one of you need to know about these three attacks. And if you can overcome them, if you can conquer these temptations, if you can conquer these attacks in your life, in your Christianity, in your leadership, can I tell you what God will do? God is going to trust you, anoint you. He's going to grow you, multiply you because he's looking for people that can overcome these attacks. And I believe this is going to be a spiritual revelation for somebody tonight. And I'm not going to go any further unless I ask God to help us with this. Come on, Holy Father. Lord, we love you. We look at you tonight and we realize that you are the one who created all the universe. You've created all things. And tonight, Lord, we humbly come before you. We ask you to open up our hearts and reveal to us this word. Reveal the deep mysteries of God. And let us grab something out of this tonight for our lives, for our families, for our church, for our leadership, for our Christianity, for the next steps we take in our lives. If we desire to serve you and fulfill the assignment you have given us. So Lord, I'm praying that you'll anoint this word, that you'll open up every heart, plow up the fallow ground right now, Lord, that the word will not fall on hard ground, stony ground, unfertile ground. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The first place Satan tries to attack you is he tries to steal your identity. That's the first place. He comes to steal your identity. The greatest fear that most of us have, at least in this modern world, is losing our identity. If somebody can steal your passwords, steal your account uh, uh, numbers, or steal your name in some sort, they can steal everything you have. Isn't that true? I have a thing called LifeLock. You know, we pay a couple of hundred dollars a year just to try to keep identity thieves from stealing what we have. That's the great fear that many, many people have right now. When somebody takes everything, your name and all these things, they can take everything that you have. The first place that Satan attacked Jesus was in his identity. He said, if you are the son of God, that's the first place he'll attack you. He will get you to question your identity. Are you really a Christian? Are you really saved? Are you really full of the Holy Ghost? I know it's happened to you because it's happened to me. He'll come to you and say, you're not really saved. You just thought you were. Look what a sinner you are. God could never forgive you. Come on, has he ever said it to you? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to steal your identity. Why? Because he wants to steal everything you have. Satan wanted to steal the identity of Christ so he could take everything that Christ had and would be. That's the first place every Christian, the first place every leader is going to be attacked is their identity is going to be stolen. Try to be stolen because your identity is your core. It's who you are. It's what you do. It's what you believe. I'm talking about your identity. He wants you to doubt who you are. He wants you to question whether you're full of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I got full of the Holy Spirit, you know, I began to pray in, this, in the Spirit and what have you. 
And the, and the devil said, you know, you're just making that up. That's not really God. Come on, I, y'all look so like you're, you're perfect, like that's never happened to you. <clears throat> He's trying to get me to doubt who I am so he can steal everything that I have. Every step of your leadership will be attacked by Satan. And the first place he starts is with who you are. Your identity. He just doesn't attack what you're doing, but he attacks who you are. And I think your desire to fulfill the assignment that God has given you puts a target on you. And if you begin to question who you are, Satan will pull you out of that assignment. He will pull you out of your purpose in life. Everybody in this house has a purpose. God didn't leave one person out. Every one of you have a mission. Every one of you. Every one of you. I mean, why would Satan try to steal the identity of Christ? Why would he try to steal your identity? Because your identity defines your purpose. If I were to go around in this room tonight and say, hey, tell me what you do. You would identify yourself by what you do, by your purpose. You would say, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a small group leader, or I'm a pastor. You would identify yourself by your purpose in your life, the things that you do. Wouldn't that be true? What you do defines who you are. Your identity shapes what you believe, and what you believe about yourself shapes your core beliefs. And those core beliefs drive what you think, what you say, what you do, how you act. Your identity and your actions are inseparable. I want you to get this tonight. Your identity and your actions are inseparable. Listen to this, Ephesians 4 verse 1. Paul the apostle says, you need to walk worthy of your vocation for which you were called. In other words, what do you believe about yourself is what you do, is how you act. You know, your identity and your actions are connected together. They're part of the same thing. Let me, if you think you're no good, then you'll never try to do anything good. If you don't think you'll, you'll succeed, you'll always be looking to fail because your actions and your identity are, are they're inseparable. They're the same. If you don't think you can be saved, you'll never call out to God to wash away your sins because you'll think you're not good enough. Come on, are you here tonight? It's because your actions and your identity cannot be separated ever. That's why the devil wants to steal your identity. Because he steals your identity, he steals what you do. He steals the way you act, the way you talk. That's what he steals from you. That's the first attack. It's what he's trying to come and get you with. He's getting you to doubt some things about who you are. Your identity and your actions are inseparable. How you see yourself, who you believe you are, what you believe you are will determine every step you take in life. I read about Princess Margaret. That's Queen Elizabeth's sister. When she was a little girl, uh, she was going to speak into a microphone for the very first time in her life. She was a little girl. And as the man was coming to get her to go to the microphone to speak in public for the very first time in her life, her mother leans over to her. You know what her mother said to her? She said, Margaret, you're a princess. Walk like a princess. Who she was, a princess, determined how she walked with dignity and with honor. That's why, that's why Satan wants to steal your identity because your actions and your identity, yeah, I'm going to say it again, they cannot be separated. They are one and the same. 
It's like the Marine, the U.S. Marine a soldier. He was going through the last days of boot camp. They were, now, they were now under live fire. They're crawling under the barbed wire. They've got machine gun fire coming over the top of their head. He's crawling under this wire, and suddenly he freezes in fear. His hands grip the mud, and he's grabbing hold of that mud, cannot move. And his friend crawls up beside him, said, Chuck, that was his name, Chuck, you're a Marine. Act like a Marine. Who he was, a Marine, determined how he should walk with courage and bravery, without fear. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. You're a child of God. You ought to walk like a child of God. Act like a child of God. Believe like a child of God. Walk with authority. Walk with power. Walk with confidence. Walk with faith. Because your identity and your actions cannot be separated. That's what the devil's coming to steal from you today. And you need to settle it right now. You are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It's not because you were any good. It's not, listen, none of us were good. It's because of the righteousness of Christ that has washed us and cleansed us and made us new again. We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us. Satan, I'm telling you, what he wants to do is he wants to take away your, your identity to believe that you're not the person that God says you are. Who I am, my identity is critical for all that I do for Christ. You know, if I don't know who I am in Christ, it will affect everything I do for Christ. That's the first place he's going to start with you. Am I really saved? Am I really filled with the Holy Spirit? Can God really use me? Satan wants to steal your identity for one reason, to steal your purpose. When you have no purpose, there is no action. When you have no purpose, there is no movement. When you have no movement, nothing ever takes place. There's no growth. There's no souls. That's what he's trying to steal from you is your identity. The first place he tempted Jesus was his identity. If you're the son of God, if he, if he, got, if he had gotten Jesus to question, am I really the son of God? He would have never done what the son of God does. If he gets you to question your identity, you'll never do what a child of God does, which is to cast out demons, to walk with faith, to believe with all your heart, to cry out to God when you fail. I want you to grab this. You'll never fulfill your destiny by losing your identity. If the devil can get you to question your identity, you'll begin to question your assignment. Somebody here, that's you. That's where you're at tonight. If Satan could have gotten Jesus to doubt who he was, he would have stopped his purpose. He would have stopped his assignment, killed his assignment. You know, I remember one time when we were, Pastor Dan, Daniel, uh, I was, you know, the church was doing pretty good, and then all of a sudden we just kind of leveled off. And it just seemed like we weren't going anywhere. I was working so hard. I was praying. I was doing everything right. I was tired. And I'll never forget, I propped my feet up on my desk in my office, and I said, Lord, is this all there is? Is this it? I was beginning to question my identity, what he called me to do. When my feet propped up on my desk, I was just talking to God. I said, God, is this it? If this is it, I don't know if I'm the right person. It was, it was the devil. He was tempting me 
with my identity and who I was, what God called me to do. I said, Lord, is this all there is? You know what the Lord said to me? He said, get your feet off the desk and go back to work. That's what he told me. No, no kidding. That's what he told me. That settled the identity question right off. Help us, Lord. We need some help, Jesus. If Satan is trying to steal your identity tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out your before and after pictures. You know what your before pictures are? That's when you were wretched and vile and wicked and all those things. Get out your before pictures and really get, get a good look at what you were. And then why don't you get your after pictures after Christ got a hold of you and take a look at yourself now. You're not who you used to be. You're somebody else. I do one thing when Satan attempts me or tries to tempt me to doubt who I am. I say, look, I'm not everything I want to be. I'm not everything that I, that I want to be, but I'm certainly not what I used to be. I know my identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. I've been bought with a price. I have power over the enemy. I have authority that I'm going to use in the name of Jesus. I don't belong to the devil anymore. Look, when I, when I, when I got saved, I changed lords. And it made the other one pretty mad. Number one, the first thing he does to every Christian, every leader, is he comes to steal your identity. Number two, he comes to kill your authority. Watch this. I'm going to tell you, this stuff gets better. Hang on. Like I say, I'm still, I'm baking this stuff in the oven. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit shows me more. Verse five, then the devil took him up into the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. I want you to know tonight that God grants to all of us authority and power. I want you to settle that right now. And I wish I had time to go back in the book of Matthew and some other places where he sent the 70 out. If you remember, he sent the 70 out and they came back rejoicing, you know, two by two. They came back rejoicing. The demons were subject unto them. Do you remember that story? And he taught, he said, and Jesus said, this is, he said, even this authority and power has been given to the babes. The new, if you're a new believer tonight, you have the same power and authority that I have who's been saved for decades. The devil comes to steal your authority. The Lord grants us authority and power. We have, and we have the rightful, what, listen to what I'm saying. We have the rightful permission to use that authority, but we just don't get to use it any way we want. Satan knew that Jesus had authority. He knew that Jesus had the rightful permission to use that authority. And he knew that if Jesus used that authority without the permission of the Father, it would be rebellion. Now think about this. If God would have told him to jump, he could have used that power and authority and commanded the angels, but it wasn't God who told him to do it. You know, he only does what he sees the Father doing. Do you follow what I'm saying? So he only has the rightful permission to use that power and authority when he knows the Father's doing it. I was praying this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I began, to, I began to take some authority over some things because I knew that that's what God wanted, his will to be done. I was using that, rightful, that, that authority with rightful permission. 
But Satan knew that if he used that authority without the permission of the Father, it was rebellion. Could Jesus have thrown himself down from that, from the, from the, from that pinnacle and commanded the angels? Could he have done that? He sure could have done it, absolutely. But if he did it, it would have been rebellion. He would have been using the authority that God gave him without the permission of the Father. Here's what Satan wanted him to do. He wanted him to misuse his authority so he would lose his authority. Look, it's the test of every Christian. It's the test of every leader. Who will you obey? Who will you submit to? It's the test of every one of us. Even Jesus. Don't think you're exempt. Satan wanted Jesus to misuse that authority, to jump off that building and command the angels to catch him, was to tempt God was to tempt God and to abuse the authority that God had given. That's Satan. That's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. He wanted Jesus to step outside the authority that God had given him. I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Anytime you use your authority that God has given you for power, for position, for personal gain, can I tell you what? You have just misused your authority. I'm going to say that again. Anytime you use the authority, look, God has given me authority and power. I believe it with all my heart. But if I use that authority for personal gain, if I use that authority for personal power, if I use that authority for position, I have misused that authority. It's rebellion. Rebellion is never anointed by God. It's always anointed by the devil. If he, test, if he tested Jesus, he's going to test you. Pride and rebellion were the original sins of Satan. It was that pride and rebellion that forced God to cast him out of heaven. He lost his place right beside the throne of God. Go read about it. I was thinking about this this afternoon is that that when you and I misuse our authority, it removes us from the place of God's presence. That's why Satan wants to tempt you. That's why he wants to steal your identity. That's why he wants to kill your authority. He wants you to misuse that authority because any rebellion disqualifies us from leadership. It disqualifies us from God's authority. Now, I'm going to show you an unbelievable scripture. It's in the book of Jude, verse 6, the New Living Translation. I want you to listen to this. Because anytime you use that authority that God has given you without his permission, you have moved outside the boundaries of that permission, and now you're in rebellion. Watch this. And I remind you, it says, of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them. Come on, this, I'm going to tell you, this will slap you by four ways. The angels did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. And God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. Can I just put it to you another way? You just can't use the authority any old way you want to. God has tried to entrust you with his power and his authority, but not to misuse it. That's rebellion. Not to abuse it. That's rebellion. Not for personal gain, because what that does, that goes beyond the limits of the authority he's given to you. It's what Satan tempts you with all the time. Satan was tempting Christ to move outside the limits of God's authority. It's what he wants to do with you. He wanted Christ to give up that authority. He wanted him to abuse that authority. He wanted him to misuse that authority. He wanted Jesus to rebel against God, to trick him. You know what it reminds me of? Luke chapter 9. Some of you know the story. 
uh, the disciples, they were out with Jesus, and they go, to, they, they go to some different towns and villages and cities and so forth. And there was one place they went to that they were not received. And it was so interesting to me when you read that, it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. When you read that, here's what the disciples said. They said, shall we call fire down upon them? Now, hold a minute. They did, I mean, they said that with boldness, with faith, with confidence, because they knew they had power and they knew they had authority. Shall we just call fire down upon them? Here's what Jesus said. You don't even know what spirit you're of. He rebuked them. When you use the authority God has given you without permission, you don't know what spirit you're of. It's not God's spirit. I can tell you that right now. It's the devil's spirit. Somebody say amen or oh me. It's easy to lose your authority by misusing your authority. Jesus could have forfeited everything by using that authority for personal gain. He could, have, he could have forfeited everything, been disinherited, however you want to look at it, if he misused or used that authority without the permission of God. Satan is going to constantly tempt you to bypass or go around the authority God has put in your life. It's exactly what he tried to do with Jesus. Don't think you're exempt. I'm going to say it again. Don't think you're exempt because I see this in church all the time. I see somebody in church, a cell leader, maybe an associate pastor or something, and they don't like the direction of the church. They don't like what the pastor's doing. They don't like the decisions that have been made. And they start complaining and moaning and criticizing and judging, dividing. Can I tell you what? You're using the authority God has given you. You're misusing that. You're abusing that, and you're in rebellion. You're doing it for personal gain, for personal attention, for personal power. See, the real test of authority is simple. You cannot be in authority unless you're under authority. Many Christians say they're under authority. I bet if I ask you, how many of you are under authority? All of you would raise your hand. Here's the problem. We say we are until we disagree with the authority. That's true, isn't it? We had a a man on our staff who we loved. We invited him and his wife onto our staff. I mean, they served in our church for many years. And, and uh, he served very faithfully for about a year and a half or so. And then he decided he wanted to go plant a church. Well, that's fine. We want to help our leaders. You know, if they want to plant and they want to, uh, you know, step out, we want to help them out. I was willing to get behind him financially, do whatever it took. He said, well, I want to go to Phoenix and start a church in Phoenix. I thought, well, I believe that's the Lord. We prayed about it. I felt it was the Lord. But as he began to think about it and began to plan for it, it looked a lot harder than what he thought. So he decided that he would kind of move a little closer from Phoenix more into maybe the Denver area. He started talking to me about it. I said, well, brother, I said, here's kind of our rule. It's an unwritten rule, but it ought to be a rule. You ought to not work on any other man's labor. You ought not, you know, receive from another man's labor. Well, I mean, after about two or three, four weeks of this, it got down to where he was from Arizona to where he was just going to plant a church right down the street from our church. I said, brother, I said, if you do that, that's going to create confusion for our people. I said, that's not the Lord. You know, we have always had a thing. You ought to be at least an hour away. I think that just eliminates confusion. 
Because people feel like it's a divorce when that happens. And it's like a parent. It's like a child. They wonder, which parent do I go with? And so he really wouldn't listen to me. And so I said, look, I'm under authority. I said, do you understand anything about spiritual authority? He said, oh, yes, I do. I said, well, then you know that, that I have a spiritual covering of three men. And I said, I'm submitted to them. I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, since I'm submitted to them and you're part of our ministry, I said, will you submit to them and agree with what they said? Whatever they tell us to do is what I'll do. I said, if they tell you to plant a church right down the street from our church, I'll bless it. I'll be submitted to them. Because, see, you can't be in authority unless you're under it. So we had a conference call. I didn't really say anything. I just kind of in the background being encouraging, say we love this brother. We want to stand with him. We want to help him. But here's the situation. He wanted to be in Phoenix. He started moving closer and closer to where now he just wants to be down the street. And so all those men weighed in on that. And they gave the same counsel that I gave him. And so, you know, they they all said what they wanted to say. He tried to refute what they were saying. So I just ended the the conference call by saying, brother, why don't you pray about this? And then on Thursday, we'll get back together and let's see what the Lord has spoken to you. I hope that maybe he would, you know, pay attention and be under spiritual authority. Well, two days later, we got together. He just said to me, he said, well, I'm not going to do what those men said. I believe the Lord wants me to plant this church right down here. I said, well, brother, I said, today is your last day on this staff. And today you're going to leave your keys. You're going to leave your computer. Your wife's going to bring her computer back because right now we don't have any more fellowship because you're out of order. I said, you're in rebellion. You say you're under authority, but you're not under authority. See, you say you're under authority, but who are you really submitted to? Your own will If you can't obey the authority God has given to you, your pastor and these other leaders that are here in this house, how can God ever trust, how can God ever trust you with his leadership? Boy, this is a preach, won't it? The test is can you stay under authority when you disagree with it? Or when you want to use that authority without the permission of God. That's going to be the real test when you don't agree with it. And you want to start using your permission. Uh, use that authority without the permission. That's the test of Satan. It's the test of every believer. It's the test of every leader. The Bible commands us to submit to those and obey those that are our leaders. And if you can't do that, you'll never obey God if you can't obey the ones that God has sent to you. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before, but... I've always wondered about the anointing. How do you get the anointing? Everybody talks about the anointing, you know. How does it come? Does it come because you're good, you preach good, or you learn a lot of Bible verses? I mean, how, does, you know, how do you get the anointing? You know, the anointing comes because of a question you ask yourself. Here's the question. Can God trust me? And here's the reality. You know exactly the areas that God can't trust you in. You know the areas he can, but you know some of the areas he can't. That's where the anointing is not found. The anointing is found in the places that he can trust you. Jesus Jesus would not dare move one inch out from underneath the authority of his father. He would not move one inch out from underneath the direction of his father. 
Satan comes to steal your identity, kill your authority. Number three comes to destroy your destiny. The destiny of Christ was to shed his blood, endure the cross, carry the sins of mankind to redeem them from hell, and then to rule and reign over the earth. Now listen, that was his destiny. That was why he came to the earth. But Satan offered him an alternative. I want you to see this. Verse 8 again, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him all the glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now I want you to see this. Satan gave Jesus a glimpse of his destiny to rule the nations and the kingdom in the, uh, of the world and the glories would all be his. All he had to do is bow down and worship Satan. I mean, he could have it right now. He didn't have to wait. He could get it right now. He offered him another path to his destiny. He offered him a shortcut uh, without having to submit to the will of God. He offered him another way to get it, an easier path. He offered Jesus, the world, and his kingdoms. Just bow down and worship me and all these kings and all these, all these kingdoms and all these nations and all the glory will be yours. How tempting that must have been. I've thought about this over and over. If I were in Christ's shoes, to know that there was a cross in front of me. <clears throat> to rule the nations and the kingdom without having to pay that price. But I bet you didn't notice this. And I just grabbed hold of this not long ago. He offered him his destiny without the cross. It's what he comes to do to you. He comes to offer you your destiny without having to pay a price. He offers you, he gives you a glimpse of what, he, what God has called you to be. He showed Jesus, he said, let's see all these kings, kingdoms. He said, they're all going to bow down to you and all the glory is going to be yours. He showed him exactly what God had showed him. But he gave him a different way to get it. It's, it's the test of every Christian. It's the test of every leader. It's the test of every pastor. Man, how tempting that must have been. To have your destiny offered to you without having to pay a price, a shortcut. Satan has come to offer you your destiny. An easy path. An easy way. He comes, he gives you a glimpse of what God has called you to do and the mission and your assignment and all those things that were happening in your life. He's given you a glimpse of all things. And it's so, it's so tempting just to choose the easy path. You know, I see this sometimes. You know, pastors want big churches. Who doesn't want a big church? Look, with a big church, you can affect this city. You can affect this state. You can affect the nation. You can affect nations of the world. I mean, when you have people and time and money, you can do some stuff. Who wouldn't want that? In fact, God wants our church to grow. He wants this church to grow. This church is a representation of the kingdom of God. You're charged with growing the kingdom of God. You're charged with growing the kingdom of God. Which means this church has to grow. Every empty chair is a testimony that the devil is winning. Oh, but he offers us our destiny without the cross, without the sacrifice. The easy path, the easy way. It's how pastors are sometimes. They want big churches, so what they do is they preach an easy message. They compromise it, but they quit praying. They quit reading the Bible. 
They're looking for a shortcut. They preach to please people. They talk about a lot of social issues. You know, I don't talk a lot about social issues. I talk about God issues, kingdom issues, faith issues. And if you've got a problem with those issues, get you a tissue. They don't have altar calls anymore. We talked about this. Your pastor and I talked about this today or yesterday. Because they might offend somebody. I'm not here. I'm not here to comfort the, uh, to afflict the, uh, to comfort the afflicted. I'm here to afflict the comfortable is what I'm here to do. But I mean, they, they, you know, they, they don't want to offend anybody. They want to be tolerant. The worst word that any Christian could use is the word tolerance because that's a compromise. So they want to look cool. They want to be cool. They want to act cool, say cool things. There's a church in our city, big church, about 10,000 people. They put a pub in the middle of their church. So if you want to go have a beer with your friends after church, go hang out and have you a beer. Get you some of that. I'm not. Another church, we had some families in our church go there. One of the men told us that they had a men's retreat. And so, you know, in a men's retreat, you're talking about men trying to become men and be godly men and all these things. And so they have all the, the services, the speakers and all these things. And, and after the night services are over, you know what the men do? They go back to their rooms. They get out their cases of beer and they gamble. They play poker. The man told me that. I said, did you talk to that pastor? He said, yeah. I said, what did he say? He said, oh, it's going to be all right. I said, that means he approves of it. I said, I'd run if it were me. Can I tell you, that's not going to happen in this church. Did you hear what I said? It's not going to happen in this church. Come on. If it happens in this church, you're never going to see me again. Because I'm not coming back. I'm trying to tell you the devil's here to steal, kill, and destroy your destiny. If you're not committed to your destiny, you'll miss your destination. Anybody who presents themselves as a Christian, anybody that presents themselves as a leader will find that their life and their character and their faith is going to be tested and challenged. There is no easy path as a Christian. There is no easy way. There is no shortcut as a leader. There is no shortcut as a pastor. There is no shortcut as a believer or a Christian. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up the cross because you can't do it without the cross. Man, I'm getting charged up about this. I don't know why. Destiny takes time. I hope you know this. It takes a long time. It takes years to become an overnight success. It takes a long time. It's hard before it becomes easy. But we don't want the hard things. We want the easy things. We don't want to have to suffer any. We don't want to have to sacrifice any. We don't want to have to deny ourselves any. Satan wanted to destroy the destiny of Jesus. He wants to destroy the destiny of every person sitting in this sanctuary tonight. He's going to give you a shortcut. An easier path. You know, Jesus would not allow... Satan to replace his destiny. And the reason why is because he submitted to the will of the Father. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
Not my will, but yours be done. I mean, he said, Lord, he said, he said I, don't want, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. But he said, not my will. You see, he was tempted to take a different way, a different path. But he said, not my will. Here's the question. Whose will tonight for you? Whose will tonight for you? For Jesus, his destination was the cross. It was his destiny to carry the burdens of mankind, carry our sins, our sicknesses, our afflictions, our diseases, our sorrows, our grief, our pain. Isaiah talks about that, prophesies about who Jesus would be. It was his destiny to rule and reign over the nations and the kingdoms of the earth. And none of these things would have happened without the cross. All you got to do, Jesus, is just bow down right now. All the kings, all the kingdoms, all the nations, all the glory, it'll be yours. Yes, Jesus, you could be the ruler of the nations and the kings and kingdoms, but they wouldn't be God's kingdoms. They wouldn't be God's nations. And all of humanity would have fallen from sin, never again to ever be connected to God if Jesus would have chosen a different destiny, a shortcut. But I want you to know Christ was committed to his destiny. He was committed to his destination. A few weeks ago, I was in Penang, Malaysia. We had... uh, our, our leaders from Southeast Asia and that part of the world, from India, from Asia, Sri Lanka, um, Nepal, I can start naming all these different countries, that again, these are church planters with Surge. And our three international directors were there. We had about 40 people. These are some of the networks we deal with. They have planted thousands upon thousands of churches. One of our brothers is in China. I mean, people are getting saved like crazy in China, but China's cracking down on Christianity big time. You don't read about it in the papers, but I hear about it because of this man. Communism is trying to destroy Christianity. And so they're cracking down, they're arresting. They've had several of their leaders arrested, put in labor camps. He's been arrested himself. And I asked him, he goes by the name Brother Timothy. If you go to our website, surgeproject.com, You will not see a picture of him. He said, I'll never be on the cover of a magazine. He said, I'll never have a social media account. I'll never have a Facebook account. He said, everything I have to do, I have to do quietly, secretly. You know what I call him? I call him a footnote Christian. You know, it says there were some who who were raised from the dead. You know, Hebrews 11 talks about the faith. Those that There were Samson and Barak and all these others who they saw the mighty power of God. And there were others. It says, and there were others. And we don't know who they were. But they suffered having seen, they had seen afar off what God wanted to do, but they died in this life, martyred. You know what they were? They were footnote Christians. They're the ones you see in the footnotes. Can I tell you right now, I just hope, I'm a, I, hope I make it to the footnotes as a Christian. I don't need my picture on the front of a magazine. I don't need my picture on the front of some social media thing. I just want to be a footnote Christian. It's not going to happen if I let the devil steal my destiny. I was asking this brother in China, I said, what are you going to do when he was testifying about how difficult it was? Because see, they're making all the churches register with the government. And then they can only preach what the government says they can preach. You know what he said to me? He said, he said we're not going to register with anybody. We're not registering with a communist. He said, we're not, about to let, uh, we're not about to submit ourselves to communism. We're not going to submit ourselves. You know what? There would have been an easier path if he'd have done it, but he chose a harder path. Because see, the devil always tries to give you something easy to do, and God always tries to give you something hard to do. 
Satan is always trying to give you this easier path. He will offer you you, your destiny without the cross, a different path, an easier path, an easier one. And the reason why is to change your destiny. Everybody here has one. You were born with a purpose. God did not overlook one person in this house. Not one. None. You're not a mistake. When it comes to leaders or Christians, there are no shortcuts. This thing called Christianity is a hard walk. This, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. He says, Satan comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I finally figured out why he said that. It's because he comes to kill your identity, steal your authority, and destroy your destiny. What's he taking from you tonight? What are you allowing him to take from you? It's time to take up your cross. It's time to follow him. Have you lost your identity? Have you been been questioning who you are? Can God really use me? Am I really a daughter of God? Am I really a son of God? That's Satan trying to steal from you. If he takes your identity, he takes everything you own. He takes everything that you have. You'll never be what God called you to be if you don't know who you are. See, that's what he started with with Jesus. And if he did it with Jesus, he'll do it with you. Come on, is anybody in the house, is he trying to steal your identity? Have you questioned yourself? I see some hands. He's come to, 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 to kill your authority. Some of you, you know you've got a power and authority. I mean, you're in the house of God. You're a child of God. You got it. But you've been tempted to use that authority beyond the permission of God, calling down fire like the disciples, rebelling against the leadership of your church. Because you don't like it. Well, I just, you know, some people say, well, the music's too loud. And some people say the music's not loud enough. Well, what's the pastor going to do? It's too hot in here. Well, it's too cold in here. What's a pastor going to do? Well, you complain and moan and cry and gripe and you start causing problems with people. Well, I don't like the direction. I don't think we should build a building. We ought to just have more services. It's going to cost a lot of money. I don't want to give any money. You know what you're doing? You're trying to use your authority without permission. You're coming out from underneath the authority. God has, God's put some authority in the house. You're in rebellion. You need to repent. Some of you want to do it the easy way. There is no easy way. I've been a Christian for a long time. Can I tell you, the path has been hard. There have been dark days, hard days, difficult days. Come on, anybody knows what I'm talking about? You know what I decided? That's just part of my walk, part of my character formation, part of my faith growth, my growth in faith. You never know what you're made of until you figure out what you're made of. And it's those dark days you know what you're made of. The devil's come to destroy your destiny, to try to find another path to it, an easier way. There's some people like that here tonight. Now, here's what I'm going to do. If you're struggling with your identity, stand up on your feet. You've had some questions. Don't be ashamed. Amen. You don't have to be ashamed. Look, if Jesus was tested in it, He's going to test you. He's going to test me. 
Come on, anybody else? Don't be ashamed. How about your authority? The devil's come to try to steal your authority, to kill your authority. Some of you have been wanting to use your authority your own way. You know, you can't be in it unless you're under it. But oh, there's a great temptation to criticize and to judge. And it's part of our human nature. I mean, social media is filled with bullies now. Am I right? No matter what you do, there's always somebody critical of what you say or what you do. You know what that, well, no, what's happening? They're coming out from underneath authority. They're in rebellion. What about you? That's you stand to your feet. You've been looking for an easy, easier path to, on your Christian walk. And the devil's been giving you a glimpse of what he's called you to do. But he's given you your destiny without the cross, without your sacrifice, without some pain and suffering that we have to go through. Paul said that I may know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. We, we like the power part, but we don't like the suffering part. And so we try to take that other path to try to avoid it. And what we don't know is that Satan is designing a different destiny for you. That you stand to your feet. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Slip out of your chair and come right here. I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel, Pastor Karen, Pastor Jeannie. If you have anybody else you want to come up here, just come on up here. I, whatever, whatever you normally do in this church, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Pastor, you want to direct them and then I'll close in just a moment? Just come on up. Come on up. Make one line all the way across the front. It's your night of breakthrough. What a powerful word. Pastor Alex, would you lead us in worship? But we're going to pray and minister. Amen. He didn't want heaven without us. Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater.
name it is the name of Jesus all these are still being ministered to I was flying back a week or so ago I was in Brazil and I was flying back from the northeast side through Recife back down to Sao Paulo and we were in a turboprop jet and it had six propellers on each engine we had landed to pick up some passengers in Recife and uh, as we were sitting there, the pilot of the plane came out, and he was inspecting the propellers. You know, he'd, he'd spin them around, he'd look at them, he'd run his hand over them, then he'd spin it around to the next prop. had six blades on it. Larry Stockstill was with me. He said, what is that guy doing? I said, that's the pilot. He said, why is he, why is he putting his hand, and why is he touching the prop? Why is he spinning it around? I said, well, if there's a nick or a gash in the prop, in the prop as that thing spins around, it, it's out of balance. I said it could shake so violently that it might tear the engine apart and rip it off the wing, and the wing may fall off. We'll crash and die. He said, you're kidding me. I said, no, that's why he's inspecting it. And it was like the Lord just said, that's what I'm trying to do with my people. you got a little nick in your life. you got a little gash in your life. You don't think it's any big deal until you start moving, until you try to start doing something. And you find out how out of balance you are. And the faster you move, it feels like things are about to come apart. And they are. Because God wants to heal that little nick, that little gash that's in your blade, that's in your life. And tonight he's running his hand over your life. To feel for it, to look for it. Because he doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to crash. 
He doesn't want you to fly apart. He wants you to finish your course, run your race, to get to the place of the well done. Maybe you have a little nick in your life right now because of sin. A little gash in your life because of a failure. Maybe something this week. Maybe something you just said, it's not that big a deal, it's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It can destroy your life. Just close your eyes for just a moment. Just where you're at. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm, I'm finished. I'm going to turn it over to the pastor in just a second. Close your eyes. I want you to respect people around you. Are you the person that I'm talking to tonight? He's running his hand over your life. You have a nick. You have a gash in your life. You're trying to run for the Lord. You're trying to do things for the Lord, but you, you just don't feel like you have any power. You're, it feels like things are falling apart. Slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want him to, to touch me. I want him to heal me. I want him to fix the gash, the nick that's there. I see hands everywhere. Lord, you see the hands. These are your people, Lord. These are the ones you love. These are the ones, Jesus, you hung on the cross for. But Lord, there's something in their life right now that is keeping them from running, It's keeping them from having full power. Because you know if they had it, they would fly apart. They would crash. They would die. And tonight as you've run your hand over them, they sensed that you found something. And they lifted their hands saying, Lord, fix me, repair me, heal me, deliver me. Renew me. If you lifted your hand, just pray in your heart. I'm going to pray, but you just pray this in your heart. Make it your prayer. Lord, I lifted my hand because I know there's something there. And others don't see it. They don't feel it, but you did. Lord, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but I know in my heart it is. And I know, Lord God, unless you touch me, I'm going to crash. I'm not going to make it. I don't know when that's going to happen, but Lord, I know that will happen. That's why I lifted my hand. And I'm asking you to repair me now. I'm asking you to heal me. I'm asking you to free me that I can just run with full strength and full power with your authority. I'm never going to question again who I am. I'm yours. You paid for me. I belong to you. I'm not going to question. I have authority. I have power, but I'm not going to misuse it, Lord. Lord, I'm never going to question again about my destiny. I know I've seen other ways to get it and receive it, but I'm not going to take that easy path. I'm going to go on the path you've given me. And I'm not giving up. I'm not backing down. I'm not quitting. I'm resisting all evil, all wickedness. Anything that would cause a nick in my life, I'm resisting it tonight. And I'm saying I'm yours. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.